So Lord, I pray as we continue the series on Ephesians, Lord God, I pray that you would, you would bless us with more of your presence and more of your grace. I pray, Lord God, that you would, you would deliver us from anxiety, fear. You would, you would establish in our hearts who we really are. Lord God, that's what I want to ask. As we look at pictures of the church in Ephesians, I want to ask that you would show us who we are. Lord God, we would see who we are as the church of the living God, as individuals but corporately. And we would see the power of that and we would live from that place of victory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I remember the day I found my family. I know. How did you lose your family? I never lost my family. I was brought up in a really great family. But there was a day I found my family. My spiritual family. The place where I knew that I belonged. I was 20 years old. And I walked into the small, well it wasn't, a medium-sized lounge of the pastor who began what would become Every Nation Joburg. There were about 12 people there. We were a motley crew, mostly students, all of us a little bit unaware of what life held, trying to work it all out. I walked in there, but instantly I knew I was home. What was significant about this group of people is that everyone had a purpose. And they were living for a purpose that was bigger than themselves. They were living for a purpose that was more than just getting a degree, more than just making it through, more than just having the right clothes. They were living for a purpose that was so much bigger than themselves. And when I heard that purpose, I was like, I want that too. I want that to be my purpose. What I loved about this group is that when I walked in, I saw their eyes light up with the light. They didn't know me, but they were pleased to see me. It's like they could recognize a long-lost sister, and I could rem- recognize long-lost brothers and sisters. And as I, I fitted into this place and I felt that sense of belonging, I knew I had found family. I had found more than a church. I had found a family. The church is a family. I don't know what family you come from, and I don't know what kind of family you come from. So for some people, the thought of a church being a family is a really good thing. But for some people, it's like, oh, my word, I don't know. My family wasn't so great. How does this family operate? We're going to talk about that. Hold that question right there. But before I commence with the scripture I want to read, I want you to understand this, that being a Christian is so much more than believing in Jesus, although that is the right starting point. Believing in Jesus is the, the foundation, it's, it's the cornerstone, it is everything to begin with. But there's more. Being a Christian is believing in Jesus and it's belonging to his family. You know what strikes me? In Acts 2, when it talks about the birth of the church, it says towards the end of the second chapter of Acts, it says 3,000 were added to their number that day. We read that 3,000 people were saved that day, but it doesn't say that. It says 3,000 were added to the church that day. God is adding you to the church. He's not just saving you. He's adding you to a family. He's putting you in place. 
Perhaps you have this, or back home you have this, or an uncle or an aunt has this. One of those couches that they should have thrown away five years ago. You know those couches. We have one. I love it because why, when I sit in it, it's, it's shaped to my behind. You know what I'm saying? It's like I've sat in it so often that it fits. And so although it doesn't look great, I love it because it kind of molds itself around me when I sit. I feel like that's what family's like. Family's like that. It's like there's a place for you. You fit. It molds itself around you. Family's that place of belonging, of hope, of of welcoming, of significance, where you find your purpose, where your identity is confirmed. Family is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. The first thing I want to tell you about family is that Ephesians is full of it. (laughs) Ephesians, from start to finish, has analogies about the church being a family. Remember that great part where it talks about Husbands, loved your, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I mean, what's it doing? It's, it's talking about the church being just like a family. It uses these kind of words all over the place, but I want to start with kind of the most exact or the most obvious analogy to family, and that's in Ephesians 1, verse 4 and 5. I'm reading from the NLT because I just love the way they put it. Paul writing, he says this, Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us. And he loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Oh, my word. He chose us so that you would be without fault. Isn't that amazing? I mean, in choosing you, he wiped out the past and made it new. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. Before the foundation of time, he'd chosen you and his plan was to adopt you. And this gave him great pleasure. If God sleeps at night, which I know he doesn't, but if he did, he'd be lying awake saying, oh my word, I can't, I can't wait to adopt Wasipa. Oh, I just, I just, I just can't wait. I just can't wait to adopt Paul. Pleasure in his heart because of you. What's interesting is that the concept of adoption in the Greco-Roman world in which Paul was writing. Paul was steeped in Roman thought. Remember, he was a Roman citizen. He, the church of Ephesus was a Gentile church, so it was filled with, with what we call Greco-Roman thought. It was, it was steeped in the culture of the Greeks and the Romans. But here's the wild thing. Adoption was a very powerful concept in that world. In, in that Greco-Roman world, adoption was almost more powerful than being born biologically. It's like you could reject your biological child anytime, but you could, you could choose who you wanted to be your child, and you adopted them, and legally they became your heirs, even above your biological children. So when Paul wrote to these Gentiles and said, before the foundation of the world, he's loved you, chosen you, and adopted you. I mean, they heard something powerful. They heard, 
He's taken me even above if he had biological children. He has made me his heir. They heard something very, very strong. And this gave him great pleasure. Now this is the first thing I want to say about, God, about family, is that God is a family. This is an important thing. Remember I said you all come from different families. So when you think of the church being a family, it, it puts something in your mind. And I want to invite you to exchange your view of family for God's view of family. Because often we bring a wrong understanding of family into the church and therefore we expect wrong things or we give wrong things. God is a family. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, long before he was a creator, he was in relationship with himself, and he is a family. There's another scripture in Ephesians which helps us to see how, how God, as, as God, actually defines what family is. It says this in Ephesians three fourteen to 15. For this reason, Paul writing and praying, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Whatever kind of family you come from, I'm here to tell you that God's view of family prevails above that. That God defines what family is and what family isn't. And God's beautiful view of family is what presides. But it's also, it's also that he holds us accountable to his view of family, not our view of family. His idea of how husbands and wives are meant to, to act towards each other, how children are meant to be cherished and loved and taken care of, the eternal union of marriage is his idea, and he gets to define it. Let's look at some characteristics of God's family. In God, family is a loving union, first of all, where everyone's valued. You don't get some people who are more important than others, no matter what you do, whatever your vocation is. In God's family, everyone is valued similarly, the same way. I love Mark 1 11 and Mark 9 verse 7 because it speaks of our Heavenly Father's relationship with Jesus, the Son. Jesus has just been baptized and this booming voice comes from heaven and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He hasn't done one miracle. He hasn't turned any water to wine. He hasn't, he hasn't been spectacular. He's walked only on the earth as all human beings done. He's just, he's just being human. And the Voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You're valued not by virtue of what you do. You're valued because you're a son, because you're a daughter. That's where your value lies. Later, when Jesus was transfigured, another voice, well, the same voice, different saying, came from heaven again and said, this is my beloved son, hear him. Your authority that you carry does not rest on what you do and what you do under you. It rests on the fact that you are a son and daughter of the Most High God and you know that. And you're living in that. Of course, sons and daughters behave a certain way. But nonetheless, your value is determined 
by your place in the family, not by what you do. In this loving union, everyone belongs. Ephesians is full of this. So one of the biggest problems in those days was the fact that there was this big racial divide between Jews and Gentiles. You think we have problems with racism. Oh, my word. I mean, it was rife. It was everywhere. There was hatred, animosity. In fact, at the temple in Jerusalem, there was a a court where everyone could go. And then there was a wall. And 14 steps that went through this wall, taking you up to the next terrace, where only particular people could go, there was a sign at that wall that said this. Only, circum- only the circumcised may pass this place for fear of death. No uncircumcised person passes here for fear of death. In other words, you come past here, you Gentile, you die. This is our Jewish place. No female could go there. No non-Jew could go there. Ephesians talks like this. It says, there's been a dividing wall that has been abolished. There's been a dividing wall that has been abolished. Ephesians 2, 14 and 15. There's an ab- a dividing wall that has been abolished. Paul would li- later say in Colossians, In Galatians, he said it in Galatians. He said, there is therefore now no Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. You know, we all grow up with walls. Our culture determines walls. Our personality determines walls. Sometimes we're on the bad side of the wall and sometimes we're on the good side of the wall. But nonetheless, we come into the kingdom with walls and and part of being the family is that God tears down those walls. There is now, therefore, no dividing wall. There's no racial divide. There's no gender divide. There's no class divide. There's no intelligence divide. We are all one in Christ, equally valued, equally belonging. That is the family of the living God. In this beautiful union, identity is derived. In this loving union of family, identity is derived. Matthew 5 is a huge sermon that Jesus preached on a mountainside to the multitudes. And right there in the middle of this, he looked them deep in the Now, this is a ragtag bunch of followers. This is not like his final army. This is not the spectacular church. This is just people like trying to live every day, trying to make it through, interested in what Jesus is saying, following him, trying to work out what's right. His disciples are there, but it says later in many of the gospels that, oh, right near the end, oh, they finally believed. So In other words, there are all these people following him. Some of them believe, some of them don't believe. And he looks them in the eye and he says this. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Those who follow me and have chosen to be in my family, they are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. I don't care what people have told you. I don't care what you have grown up thinking about yourself. The spirit of the living God is looking you in the eye and saying, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. 
You matter. Your life is important. It shines like a light in the darkness. It brings the flavor of the kingdom into your world. You are the light of the world and you are the salt of the earth. Because in this family that we belong to, that we've been adopted into, that God has reached out through the ages, through Christ, to find you, chosen you, loved you, pulled you into this family, paid the price for you. In this family, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And in this family, in this loving union, purpose is defined. Everyone has a purpose. In John 20, verse 21, it says this, that. Well, Jesus speaking to his disciples, he said, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Every time I read that, it takes my breath away, really. I mean, we're talking about Jesus. As the Father sent him, So God is sending me. I mean, I don't know how you feel about that. I have to take a deep breath every time I read that. It means that the mission Jesus was on, to bring all of the world back under the dominion of his loving Father, is your mission too. It means that as you go about that mission, all of heaven backs you like it backed Jesus. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Our purpose. We find our purpose. That's what the biggest thing that attracted me when I walked into that group of ragtag students who became a powerful church in the city, touching every walk of life. Do you know that that one of the members of this church has just been elected as the president of the Civil Engineering Society of South Africa? He is busy traveling to every university right now and and speaking to the chancellors and the students. He's meeting uh, ministers and, and leaders of government and leaders of industry because from that ragtag, we understood a purpose. We understood that we were called for something bigger, than just making money. We were called for something bigger than just a, simply a career. We were, called, we were called to bring the light and the life of Jesus Christ into every place. That's who we are. Purpose is defined. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. God is a family. God's family has privileges. Isn't that nice? <laughs> you get some privileges. You know, the doorbell rang the other day, and there was uh, a person outside my house who I didn't know. But imagine, this is not what happened, but imagine if I had opened the gate to find out what was going on, and he had marched into my house, through my lounge, into my kitchen, opened my, my fridge, and started making himself a sandwich from last night's leftovers. I mean, how would you feel if that happened in your house? He walk, some stranger walks up to your res room, opens the door and just goes and lies on your bed. I mean, you're outraged. No, that's my bed. Get off my bed. Who are you? But if your sister or your brother arrives and you come back from lectures and there they are lying on your bed, what do you say? How's it? I mean, it's, it's lovely. It's lovely because they're family. They're family. 
My bed's your bed. My fridge is your fridge. My leftovers are your leftovers. Family, they're privileges of being in a family. God's family has privileges. Let's look at some of those. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8 says this, In him we have redemption through his blood. You know, those are big words. They can confuse us. Basically, redemption through his blood means that he came and he bought you with his blood. Redemption simply means if I redeem a bottle of milk, I go to the shops, I give them money, I get the milk. Redeeming simply means to pay for something so that it now becomes yours. He redeemed you by your blood, which means you weren't his at some stage. You belonged to someone else. I'll suggest who that was. It was the devil. We'd all sold ourselves there inadvertently without knowing it. But Jesus came and said, what price for that one? And the price was his life. He exchanged his life for yours. He redeemed you by his blood. He paid for you. He paid for you. These are the privilege of being in his family. How about forgiveness for our trespasses? What does that mean? It means that there's no condemnation in this family. Because it literally means, at that moment when he paid, he said, I wiped out, I've wiped out all your history. We're starting again. We're starting again. I've wiped out all your sins, all your, all your failings, all those regrets, all the darkness, all the pain, all the abuse. It's gone. Now we start. We start anew. I'm adopting you, and it's new. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom. Seeing as Andrew's not here, I'm going to tell you a secret about him. Is that okay? If you want to understand lavish, you must sit down to breakfast with Andrew. I mean, breakfast for Andrew is lavish. Toast. Let's just, let's just be around the toast. I mean, ordinary, everyday toast. For Andrew, toast, there's no like, just scrape the top of the butter and put it nicely on the bread. I mean, Andrew butters his bread by taking a knife and slicing off a piece of that butter. You know those blocks of butter? I mean, he literally slices off a bit of that butter, puts it on his toast. I mean, the butter, the butter is oozing over the edges. I mean, when you pick up that toast, there are drops of butter falling onto the plate. I mean, it's, it's, it's seeping. I mean, it's like saturated from one into the other. It's toast. It's a butter with a little bit of toast in it. That's, that's lavish. I mean, Andrew lavishes his toast with butter. Jam. Jam. I mean, it's no like just take a little teaspoon and spread it very sedately across the, the toast. No, no. I mean, it's tablespoons of butter. Literally, the jam is as thick as the bread. I, I, guys, guys, I know you're thinking, how on earth does he make it? How does he stay thin-ish? <laughs> I don't know. I've been jealous from the day we were married. But he picks up that toast, and I mean, there's, there's jam, butter oozing off the edges. You know how it goes on your mouth? I mean, he's, it's lavish. It's lavish. And when 
God comes and lavishes grace on us. This is what it means. It means he's not just like scraping a little, oh, do you want a little bit of grace? Have a little bit there, a little bit there. No, I mean, he is, he is slicing off huge chunks of grace. He is putting them on you so that it's seeping into every part of you. When someone picks you up, there are drops of grace falling back on the plate. You know, it's like you, you can't see the, the original structure of your life, the bread, because there's so much jam grace on it that it's just hidden. It's just grace everywhere. Grace. You're covered in grace. You're lavished in grace. This is the family of the living God. Who wants in? Yes. Some more privileges of the family. We have obtained an inheritance. An inheritance. Ephesians 1.11 tells us, Luke 12 tells us a little bit more about that inheritance that we've we've obtained. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Guys, this inheritance we have, it's not just like, you know, you go to the solicitor's office after your dad dies, you sit there, you know, who's, who's going to get the, that old couch? You know, who's going to get that old gown? You know, who's going to get that house that needs repairs? It's not that. It's an inheritance that is so big, so enormous. It's all of God. It's all of God. It's his kingdom. It's his nature. It's his habit. It's his ways. It's his power. It's his goodness. It's his, it's his love. It's his truth. It's his principles. It's everything. Holding nothing back. Your inheritance is more than you've ever imagined. More than you've ever imagined. The kingdom, it is my good pleasure, again, his pleasure. It is my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You ask for a good marriage, and his answer is, I'll give you the kingdom. In the kingdom, there's a marriage that's so amazing. But it doesn't come alone. It comes. It comes with power. It comes with life. It comes with joy. It comes with truth. You ask for a job and he looks at you and he says, I'll give you the kingdom. I'll give you the kingdom. In there, there's a job. But it's not just a job. It's a vocation. It's a, it's a glorious experience of my power manifesting in the world. It's my joy. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God's family has privileges, but God's family also has ways. That's not the app that gets you places. God's family has ways. You know, for all families have ways. You know what I'm saying? It's like the unspoken rules, the, the way they do things. You know, in my family, everyone sits at the table when we eat. And we sit at a table when we eat. Not all families do that. It's not a universal rule, but that's our way. So we set the table... And when we have food, everyone sits down together. That's the Gosman way. Families have ways. Families have ways. In our family, we play games. I mean, we play games. I always lose, but we play games. We play games. That's the Gosman way. Every family has ways. So what are God's family ways? Let's look at some of them. His family way is that we have a good father. We have a good, good father. 
This family is governed from start to finish by this divine truth that there is a Father in heaven who is good in every way. Good in every way. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 says this, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the good things that God has for you. In other words, he's good beyond your wildest imagination. You cannot e- If you had to sit down and think every good thought, you still could not even touch the surface of God's goodness. What does that mean? That means that we think big. We think big. Here's, here's an analogy I'd like to, to use. I'm trying to think of like the, the richest kind of people. We're watching this documentary about Bill Gates, which is so interesting. I don't even know how many billions he has. I don't even know if he knows how many billions he has. But well, he probably does. He's that kind of a guy. He probably knows every cent. But, you know, just, just think of, I don't even know if Bill Gates has children. So sorry, Bill Gates, if you don't. I'm not sure. But imagine if Bill Gates' son comes to him and... and, and Bill Gates says, what, what can I do for you? What would you like? And Bill Gates' son says, I'd like a few stones, please. I mean, you would, you would want to take that boy by the scruff of the neck, shake him really hard and say, come on. Do you know who your dad is? Ask big. I mean, at least ask for a corporation or two. Yeah, a couple of billion. May, may, maybe, ask, maybe ask for a new car. Also ask for something big. Come now. Come now. But your, your father, your father makes Bill Gates look like he's just starting. I mean, your father, when he speaks, worlds come, out of, come from his words. Your, your father, one blast of his nostril and every obstacle is just obliterated. I mean, this is God we're talking about. And he's promising to be your father. We live in a family with a good father. A good Think big. Think big. Stop asking for stones. Stop asking for stones. It is my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We have a good father. Another way of this family is that Jesus accomplished everything. Jesus accomplished everything. Ephesians 1 verse 22 says he's the head of all things. What does that mean? It means that you will never ever face a situation or a problem for which there is no answer. It means there are no impossible situations. Jesus destroyed impossibility. On the cross, he destroyed impossibility. There are no impossible situations. What does that mean for us? It means in this family, we trust well. In this family, we are not led by anxiety. We're led by faith. Because Jesus accomplished everything. In this family, obviously from that, nothing's impossible. That means 
when your friend comes to you and tells you about his or her impossible situation, you're going to take their hand and you're going to tell them something nice like, oh, wow, I can feel how tough that is. That's really tough. But you're not going to leave it there because nothing's impossible. You're going to do something that I'm calling catalyzed faith. So you're going to take them by the hand and you're going to say, but remember, Jesus accomplished everything. Therefore, you and I, we are going to believe. I'm going to pray with you for an impossible solution. And as we pray, I'm going to imagine and I'm going to speak like that solution is already there. I'm going to catalyze faith. In this family, we speak like there's always a solution. We speak like there's a future and a hope. We look at the future, the devastated lives, and we look past that into a future that is so good, so whole, so lovely, and that's what we speak. We don't stop at the problems of today. We acknowledge them, but we look past them because there is a God who has accomplished everything, and therefore there is a future for us that is so filled with hope, so glorious, and that's what we live for. That's what we speak. We catalyze faith for that, for that. Nothing's impossible. Nothing's impossible. And the last one, everyone's significant. Everyone's significant. I've told you, I think, about the first prophecy I ever received. It wasn't glorious. It went something like this. Oh, my word. God has chosen the foolish things of this world. He's chosen the weak things of this world. And he will take the most foolish and the most weak, and he will do something. Now, really, that was the first prophecy I ever got. But I got that prophecy because really, 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 I didn't come into the kingdom spectacularly. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't like this prize fish. I wasn't like this person that, that people say, if, if she could just get saved, oh, my word, she could do amazing things. I mean, they were like, oh, Carol got saved. Interesting. <laughs> But you know, there are no insignificant people in the kingdom. And you, plus the spirit of God in living inside of you, is a force to be reckoned with. You are significant. You matter. God, God, God when he was just planning you, describing you, thinking of you, it was a good experience. He was looking forward to beautiful things you were going to do, majestic exploits, fantastic relationships, life-giving experiences. You are significant. Your life matters. You carry the kingdom with you where you go. Where you go, things change. You are significant because, not because of you, but because of the Spirit of God that you carry. He has chosen you. He reached out through eternity, looked through Jesus, grabbed hold of you, loved you, chose you, adopted you, made you an heir, and you are significant. What does that mean? It means that in this family, we serve extravagantly. Why? Because when you serve, it matters. It makes a difference. When you shake a hand at that door, when you show someone to their seat, when you pour someone tea or coffee, when you, when you serve a children's church, when you love your family, when you do that extra work at work, when you do those things, it changes everything. Because you're significant. You're significant. John 12 verse 3 talks about how Mary, she came to Jesus and she broke that very expensive alabaster jar filled with perfume that had cost her a fortune. 
that she'd probably be saving up for ages. She broke it over Jesus' feet. And then she wiped his feet with her hair. This extravagant worship, this extravagant service, this extravagant sacrifice. And it says this. I love it. It says this. And the fragrance of the perfume filled the house. The fragrance of your service is filling this world with the knowledge of Jesus. The fragrance of your serving is making Jesus known. The fragrance of your service is filling the world with the fragrance of the possibility of a good God. It's, it's wafting into the nostrils of those who are tired, poor, downcast, and they're saying, there is hope. There is hope. There is hope. The fragrance of your sacrifice is filling this world with the knowledge of God's glory. God's family has ways. God's family has privileges, and God's family has ways. We are adopted into God's family where we inherit his kingdom and live out his ways. That's who we are, the light of the world, salt of the earth, a city set on the hill that cannot be hidden. The fragrance of our service is filling the world with his glory. You matter. We matter. We belong. We're part of a family, a loving union where everyone matters, a loving union where our identity is defined, a loving union where we find our purpose. That's who we are. That's the church of the living God. That's the church of the living God. And nothing, nothing, nothing will stop her. We're a family. We believe in each other. We support each other. We love one another. We see past one another's faults. And we see the glory of God in each other. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, give the Lord a hand. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, it's so beautiful, your plan. Your plan is so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Lord, I want to pray for each person here. Lord God, those, those who are far off, I want to pray that you bring them near. Lord God, there's, a, there's literally a spirit of adoption. Your Bible talks about a spirit of adoption. And Father God, I want to ask now for every person here for a spirit of adoption to touch their hearts. Father God, there are some people here who feel who feel alienated. There's some people here who feel like they've got nothing to give. There's some people here who feel like they don't belong. Lord, I speak right now to those lies and I say, you must go in Jesus' name. Holy one, I ask, you reach past those, those lies of the enemy and you would touch them with your spirit of adoption. Lord, bring them into your kingdom. Bring them into your family. Lord God, let them feel the power of your presence, molding them, adding them. Thank you, Lord. 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 Thank you, Lord.
Can you feel that presence of God here right now? We're just going to sit in that for a moment. That's the presence of your heavenly Father reaching out from before the world began saying, I loved her. I loved him. I chose him. I chose her. And I'm adopting them. I'm making them mine. I'm bringing them from being far off to being close. I'm breaking down the wall of division. I'm making a place for them. I'm redeeming them by my blood. I'm bringing them home. I'm bringing them home. I'm bringing them home. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. While we're in that place, you know, I know we all have places of our heart that are further away from God than other parts. And, you know, even as Christians, sometimes other things other than God can be, can be the most prominent thing. And I feel like I want to carry on that theme from worship. Sometimes being in his family, in order to receive the full benefit of it, it's like we have, to, we have to let go of some things, some things that have led us, some things that have been paramount in our minds or been the biggest things in our minds. And I, I know right now, I, I feel it in the air, is that there's a lot of anxiety around. And sometimes anxiety can lead us. It can become almost like a, a false Jesus to us. It's like it determines what we do and what we don't do who we are and who we not, it determines so many things. And, and I feel like God wants to, is asking you now. He's promising you this. You're in the family. You're here. You belong. But I'm asking you to set that aside and follow me. Follow me. Follow me. So I'm asking you to do that. I'm asking you to just trust well. Because you have a good father. I'm asking you to feel the significance of your life and therefore serve extravagantly. I'm asking you to feel the weight of Jesus' complete victory. And therefore trust him completely. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So I'm asking you where you are there that you would make an exchange. You take your fears, your worries, your anxieties, you would give them to him and you would take on his leadership. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And then there's some people in here, while you're doing that, you just carry on. You can do your business with Jesus, but I want to speak to another group that are in here. And you want to be adopted into the family. You know that you're not adopted in. 
Jesus has been offering it to you. You've heard the message sometimes and you've you've been in church but you know you've never you've never said yes to that adoption. You've never said I'm putting all my eggs in this basket. I'm coming home. I'm allowing God to be my father. I'm coming into this family. I'm allowing Jesus to be in charge. I'm surrendering my life to him. I'm allowing myself to be adopted into this family. And if that's you and you want to do that, I'm asking you to raise your hand where you are because I'd like to speak to you. I'd like to pray for you. If that's you and you'd like to be adopted into the family, just raise your hand where you are. 